Good evening. Welcome to the Just Sleep Podcast. I'm Tasha, your host. Every week, I will read you an old story to help you relax, put the stressful day behind you, and drift off to sleep. Occasionally, we will run ads in order to cover the costs of the production of the podcast. Rest assured, there will be no ads during or after the story. If you prefer an ad-free and intro-free show, you can join Just Sleep Premium. Visit justsleeppodcast.com slash Support for more information. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A huge... Welcome and thank you to the new subscribers to Just Sleep Premium. April, Nikki, Jane, Emily, Kathy, Andrew, Andrea, Cassandra, Michael, Crystal, and Mary. All Just Sleep Premium subscribers have access to the entire audiobook of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum. And tonight, I will be reading the sequel to that book, The Marvelous Land of Oz. So lie down, close your eyes, and let me read you a story. Chapter 1. Tip Manufactures a Pumpkin Head In the country of the Gillikins, which is at the north of the land of Oz, lived a youth called Tip. There was more to his name than that, for old Mombi often declared that his whole name was Tipitarius. 
but no one was expected to say such a long word when Tip would do just as well. This boy remembered nothing of his parents, for he had been brought when quite young to be reared by the old woman known as Mombi, whose reputation, I am sorry to say, was none of the best. For the Gilligan people had reason to suspect her of indulging in magical arts, and therefore hesitated to associate with her. Mombi was not exactly a witch, because the good witch, who ruled that part of the land of Oz, had forbidden any other witch to exist in her dominions. So Tip's guardian, however much she might aspire to working magic, realized it was unlawful to be more than a sorceress, or at most, a wizardess. Tip was made to carry wood from the forest, that the old woman might boil her pot. He also worked in the cornfields, hoeing and husking, and he fed the pigs and milked the four-horned cow that was Mombi's special pride. But you must not suppose he worked all the time, for he felt that would be bad for him. When sent to the forest, Tip often climbed trees for birds' eggs, or amused himself chasing the fleet white rabbits, or fishing in the brooks with bent pins. Then he would hastily gather his armful of wood and carry it home. And when he was supposed to be working in the cornfields, and the tall stalks hid him from Mombi's view, Tip would often dig in the gopher holes, or if the mood seized him, lie upon his back between the rows of corn and take a nap. So by taking care not to exhaust his strength, he grew as strong and rugged as a boy may be. Mombi's curious magic often frightened her neighbours, and they treated her shyly yet respectfully because of her weird powers. But Tip frankly hated her and took no pains to hide his feelings. Indeed, he sometimes showed less respect for the old woman than he should have done, considering she was his guardian. There were pumpkins in Mombi's cornfields, lying golden red among the rows of green stalks, and these had been planted and carefully tended that the four-horned cow might eat of them in the wintertime. But one day, after the corn had been all cut and stacked, and Tip was carrying the pumpkins to the stable, he took a notion to make a jack-o'-lantern and tried to give the old woman a fright with it. So he selected a fine, big pumpkin, one with a lustrous orange-red color, and began carving it. With the point of his knife, he made two round eyes, a three-cornered nose, and a mouth shaped like a new moon. The face, when completed, could not have been considered strictly beautiful, but it wore a smile so big and broad, and was so jolly in expression, that even Tip laughed as he looked admiringly at his work. The child had no playmates, so he did not know that boys often dug out the inside of a pumpkin jack, and in the space thus made, put a lighted candle to render the face more startling. But he conceived an idea of his own that promised to be quite as effective. He decided to manufacture the form of a man who would wear this pumpkin head, and to stand it in a place where old Mombi would meet it face to face. And then, said Tip to himself with a laugh, she'll squeal louder than the brown pig does when I pull her tail, and shiver with fright worse than I did last year when I had the ague. He had plenty of time to accomplish this task, for Mombi had gone to a village to buy groceries, she said, and it was a journey of at least two days. So he took his axe to the forest and selected some stout, straight saplings, which he cut down and trimmed of all their twigs and leaves. From these he would make the arms and legs and feet of his man. 
for the body, he stripped a sheet of thick bark from around a big tree, and with much labor fastened it into a cylinder of about the right size, pinning the edges together with wooden pegs. Then, whistling happily as he worked, he carefully jointed the limbs and fastened them to the body with pegs whittled into shape with his knife. By the time this feat had been accomplished, it began to grow dark, and Tip remembered he must milk the cow and feed the pigs. So he picked up his wooden man and carried it back to the house with him. During the evening, by the light of the fire in the kitchen, Tip carefully rounded all the edges of the joints and smoothed the rough places in a neat and workmanlike manner. Then he stood the figure up against the wall and admired it. It seemed remarkably tall, even for a full-grown man, but that was a good point in a small boy's eyes, and Tip did not object at all to the size of his creation. Next morning, when he looked at his work again, Tip saw that he had forgotten to give the dummy a neck, by means of which he might fasten the pumpkin head to the body. So he went again to the forest, which was not far away, and chopped from a tree several pieces of wood with which to complete his work. When he returned, he fastened a cross piece to the upper part of the body, making a hole through the center to hold upright the neck. The bit of wood which formed this neck was also sharpened to the upper end, and when all was ready, Tip put on the pumpkin head, pressing it well down onto the neck, and found that it fitted very well. The head could be turned to one side or the other, as he pleased, and the hinges of the arms and legs allowed him to place the dummy in any position he desired. Now that, declared Tip proudly, is really a very fine man, and it ought to frighten several screeches out of old Mombi. But it would be much more lifelike if it were properly dressed. To find clothing seemed no easy task, but Tip boldly ransacked the great chest in which Mombi kept all her keepsakes and treasures, and at the very bottom he discovered some purple trousers, a red shirt, and a pink vest which was dotted with white spots. These he carried away to his man and succeeded, although the garments did not fit very well, in dressing the creature in a jaunty fashion. Some knit stockings belonging to Mombi and a much-worn pair of his own shoes completed the man's apparel, and Tip was so delighted that he danced up and down and laughed aloud in boyish ecstasy. I must give him a name, he cried. So good a man as this must surely have a name. I believe, he added, after a moment's thought, I will name the fellow Jack Pumpkinhead. Chapter 2 The Marvelous Powder of Life After considering the matter carefully, Tip decided that the best place to locate Jack would be at the bend in the road a little way from the house. So he started to carry his man there, but found him heavy and rather awkward to handle. After dragging the creature a short distance, Tip stood him on his feet, and by first bending the joints of one leg and then those of the other, at the same time pushing from behind, the boy managed to induce Jack to walk to the bend in the road. It was not accomplished without a few tumbles, and Tip really worked harder than he ever had in the fields or forest, but a love of mischief urged him on, and it pleased him to test the cleverness of his workmanship. Jack's all right, and works fine, he said to himself, panting with the unusual exertion. But just then he discovered the man's left arm had fallen off in the journey, so he went back to find it, and afterward, by whittling a new and stouter pin for the shoulder joint, 
he repaired the injury so successfully that the arm was stronger than before. Tip also noticed that Jack's pumpkin head had twisted around until it faced his back, but this was easily remedied. When at last the man was set up facing the turn in the path where old Momby was to appear, he looked natural enough to be a fair imitation of a Gillikin farmer, and unnatural enough to startle anyone that came on him unawares. As it was yet too early in the day to expect the old woman to return home, Tip went down into the valley below the farmhouse and began to gather nuts from the trees that grew there. However, old Momby returned earlier than usual. She had met a crooked wizard who resided in a lonely cave in the mountains and had traded several important secrets of magic with him. Having in this way secured three new recipes, four magical powders, and a selection of herbs of wonderful power and potency, she hobbled home as fast as she could in order to test her new sorceries. So intent was Momby on the treasures she had gained that when she turned the bend in the road and caught a glimpse of the man, she merely nodded and said, Good evening, sir. But a moment after, noting that the person did not move or reply, she cast a shrewd glance into his face and discovered his pumpkin head elaborately carved by Tip's jackknife. Hey, ejaculated Momby, giving a sort of grunt. That rascally boy has been playing tricks again. Very good. Very good. I'll beat him black and blue for trying to scare me in this fashion. Angrily, she raised her stick to smash in the grinning pumpkin head of the dummy, but a sudden thought made her pause. The uplifted stick left motionless in the air. Why, here is a good chance to try my new powder, she said eagerly. And then I can tell whether that crooked wizard has fairly traded secrets, or whether he has fooled me as wickedly as I fooled him. So she set down her basket and began fumbling in it from one of the precious powders she had obtained. While Momby was thus occupied, Tip strolled back with his pockets full of nuts and discovered the old woman standing beside his man and apparently not the least a bit frightened by it. At first he was generally disappointed, but the next moment he became curious to know what Momby was going to do. So he hid behind a hedge where he could see without being seen and prepared to watch. After some search, the woman drew from her basket an old pepper box upon the faded label of which the wizard had written with a lead pencil, Powder of Life. Ah, here it is, she cried joyfully, and now let us see if it is potent. The stingy wizard didn't give me much of it, but I guess there's enough for two or three doses. Tip was much surprised when he overheard this speech. Then he saw old Momby raise her arm and sprinkle the powder from the box over the pumpkin head of his man Jack. She did this in the same way one would pepper a baked potato, and the powder sifted down from Jack's head and scattered over the red shirt and pink waistcoat and purple trousers Tip had dressed him in, and a portion even fell upon the patched and worn shoes. Then, putting the pepper box back into the basket, Momby lifted her left hand with its little finger pointed upward and said, Wheel. Then she lifted her right hand with the thumb pointed upward and said, Tia. And then she lifted both hands with all the fingers and thumbs spread out and cried, Pia. Jack Pumpkinhead stepped back a pace at this and said in a reproachful voice, Don't yell like that. Do you think I'm deaf? Old Momby danced around him, frantic with delight. 
He lives, she screamed. He lives. He lives. Then she threw her stick into the air and caught it as it came down. And she hugged herself with both arms and tried to do a step of a jig. And all the time she repeated rapturously, He lives. He lives. He lives. Now you may well suppose that Tip observed all this with amazement. At first he was so frightened and horrified that he wanted to run away, but his legs trembled and shook so badly that he couldn't. Then it struck him as a very funny thing for Jack to come to life, especially as the expression on his pumpkin face was so droll and comical, it excited laughter on the instant. So recovering from his first fear, Tip began to laugh, and the merry peals reached old Mumby's ears and made her hobble quickly to the hedge, where she seized Tip's collar and dragged him back to where she had left her basket and the pumpkin-headed man. You naughty, sneaking, wicked boy, she exclaimed furiously. I'll teach you to spy out my secrets and to make fun of me. I wasn't making fun of you, protested Tip. I was laughing at old Pumpkinhead. Look at him. Isn't he a picture, though? I hope you're not reflecting on my personal appearance, said Jack and it was so funny to hear his grave voice while his face continued to wear its jolly smile that Tip again burst into a peal of laughter. Even Momby was not without a curious interest in the man her magic had brought to life, for after staring at him intently, she presently asked, What do you know? Well, that is hard to tell, replied Jack, for although I feel that I know a tremendous lot, I am not yet aware how much there is in the world to find out about. It will take me a little time to discover whether I am very wise or very foolish. To be sure, said Momby thoughtfully. But what are you going to do with him now that he's alive? Asked Tip, wondering. I must think it over, answered Momby. But we must get home at once, for it is growing dark. Help the pumpkin head to walk. Never mind me, said Jack. I can walk as well as you can. Haven't I got legs and feet, and aren't they jointed? Are they? asked the woman, turning to Tip. Of course they are. I made them myself, returned the boy with pride. So they started for the house, but when they reached the farmyard, old Momby led the pumpkin man to the cow's stable and shut him up in an empty stall, fastening the door securely on the outside. I've got to attend to you first, she said, nodding her head at Tip. Hearing this, the boy became uneasy, for he knew Momby had a bad and revengeful heart. I would not hesitate to do any evil thing. They entered the house. It was a round, dome-shaped structure, as are nearly all the farmhouses in the land of Oz. Momby bade the boy light a candle while she put her basket in a cupboard and hung her cloak on a peg. Tip obeyed her quickly, for he was afraid of her. After the candle had been lighted, Momby ordered him to build a fire in the hearth, and while Tip was thus engaged, the old woman ate her supper. When the flames began to crackle, the boy came to her and asked a share of the bread and cheese, but Momby refused him. I'm hungry, said Tip in a sulky tone. You won't be hungry long, replied Momby with a grim look. The boy didn't like this speech, for it sounded like a threat, but he happened to remember he had nuts in his pocket, so he cracked some of those and ate them, while the woman rose, shook the crumbs from her apron, and hung above the fire a small black kettle. Then she measured out equal parts of milk and vinegar and poured them into the kettle. Next, she produced several packets of herbs and powders and began adding a portion of each to the contents of the kettle. Occasionally, she would draw near the candle and read from a yellow paper 
the recipe of the mess she was concocting. As Tip watched her, his uneasiness increased. What is that for? he asked. For you, returned Momby briefly. Tip wriggled around upon his stool and stared a while at the kettle, which was beginning to bubble. Then he would glance at the stern and wrinkled features of the witch and wish he were any place but in that dim and smoky kitchen, where even the shadows cast by the candle upon the wall were enough to give one the horrors. So an hour passed away, during which the silence was only broken by the bubbling of the pot and the hissing of the flames. Finally, Tip spoke again. Have I got to drink that stuff? he asked, nodding toward the pot. Yes, said Mumby. What'll it do to me? asked Tip. If it's properly made, replied Mumby, it will change or transform you into a marble statue. Tip groaned and wiped the perspiration from his forehead with his sleeve. I don't want to be a marble statue, he protested. That doesn't matter. I want you to be one, said the old woman, looking at him severely. What use will I be then? asked Tip. There won't be anyone to work for you. I'll make the pumpkin head work for me, said Mumby. Again, Tip groaned. Why don't you change me into a goat or a chicken? he asked anxiously. You can't do anything with a marble statue. Oh, yes, I can, returned Mumby. I'm going to plant a flower garden next spring, and I'll put you in the middle of it for an ornament. I wonder I haven't thought of that before. You've been a bother to me for years. At this terrible speech, Tip felt the beads of perspiration starting all over his body, but he sat still and shivered and looked anxiously at the kettle. Perhaps it won't work, he muttered, in a voice that sounded weak and discouraged. Oh, I think it will, answered Mumby cheerfully. I seldom make a mistake. Again, there was a period of silence, a silence so long and gloomy, that when Mumby finally lifted the kettle from the fire, it was close to midnight. You cannot drink it until it has become quite cold, announced the old witch, for in spite of the law she had acknowledged practicing witchcraft. We must both go to bed now, and at daybreak I will call you, and at once complete your transformation into a marble statue. With this, she hobbled into her room, bearing the steaming kettle with her, and Tip heard her close and lock the door. The boy did not go to bed, as he had been commanded to, but still sat staring at the embers of the dying fire. Chapter 3 The Flight of the Fugitives Tip reflected. It's a hard thing to be a marble statue, he thought rebelliously, and I'm not going to stand for it. For years I've been a bother to her, she says, so she's going to get rid of me. Well, there's an easier way than to become a statue. No boy could have any fun forever standing in the middle of a flower garden. I'll run away, that's what I'll do, and I may as well go before she makes me drink that nasty stuff in the kettle. He waited until the snores of the old witch announced she was fast asleep. And then he arose softly and went to the cupboard to find something to eat. No use starting on a journey without food, he decided, searching upon the narrow shelves. He found some crusts of bread. But he had to look into Mumby's basket to find the cheese she had brought from the village. While turning over the contents of the basket, he came upon the pepper box which contained the powder of life. I may as well take this with me, he thought, or Mumby will be using it to make more mischief with. So he put the box in his pocket together with the bread and cheese. Then he cautiously left the house and latched the door behind him. 
Outside, both moon and stars shone brightly, and the night seemed peaceful and inviting after the close and ill-smelling kitchen. I'll be glad to get away, said Tip softly, for I never did like that old woman. I wonder how I ever came to live with her. He was walking slowly toward the road when a thought made him pause. I don't like to leave Jack Pumpkinhead to the tender mercies of old Mombi, he muttered, and Jack belongs to me, for I made him, even if the old witch did bring him to life. He retraced his steps to the cow stable and opened the door of the stall where the pumpkin-headed man had been left. Jack was standing in the middle of the stall, and by the moonlight, Tip could see he was smiling just as jovially as ever. Come on, said the boy, beckoning. Where to? asked Jack. You'll know as soon as I do, answered Tip, smiling sympathetically into the pumpkin face. All we've got to do now is to tramp. Very well, returned Jack, and walked awkwardly out of the stable and into the moonlight. Tip turned toward the road and the man followed him. Jack walked with a sort of limp, and occasionally one of the joints of his leg would turn backward instead of frontwise, almost causing him to tumble. But the pumpkin head was quick to notice this and began to make more pains to step carefully so that he met with few accidents. Tip led him along the path without stopping an instant. They could not go very fast, but they walked steadily. And by the time the moon sank away and the sun peeped over the hills, they had travelled so great a distance that the boy had no reason to fare pursuit from the old witch. Moreover, he had turned first into one path and then into another, so that should anyone follow them, it would prove very difficult to guess which way they had gone or where to seek them. Fairly satisfied that he had escaped, for a time at least, being turned into a marble statue. The boy stopped his companion and seated himself upon a rock by the roadside. Let's have some breakfast, he said. Jack Pumpkinhead watched Tip curiously, but refused to join in the repast. I don't seem to be made the same way you are, he said. I know you're not, returned Tip, for I made you. Oh, did you? asked Jack. Certainly, and put you together and carved your eyes and nose and ears and mouth, said Tip proudly, and dressed you. Jack looked at his body and limbs critically. It strikes me you made a very good job of it, he remarked. Just so-so, replied Tip modestly, for he began to see certain defects in the construction of his man. If I'd known we were going to travel together, I might have been a little more particular. Why then, said the pumpkin head in a tone that expressed surprise, you must be my creator, my parent, my father. Or your inventor, replied the boy with a laugh. Yes, my son, I really believe I am. Then I owe you obedience, continued the man, and you owe me support. That's it exactly, declared Tip, jumping up. So let us be off. Where are we going? asked Jack, when they resumed their journey. I'm not exactly sure, said the boy, but I believe we are headed south, and that will bring us, sooner or later, to the Emerald City. What city is that? inquired the pumpkin head. Why, it's the centre of the land of Oz, and the biggest town in all the country. I've never been there myself, but I've heard all about its history. It was built by a mighty and wonderful wizard named Oz, and everything there is of a green colour, just as everything in this country of the Gillikins is of a purple colour. Is everything here purple? asked Jack. Of course it is. Can't you see? returned the boy. I believe I must be colour blind, said the pumpkin head, after staring about him. 
Well, the grass is purple and the trees are purple and the houses and fences are purple, explained Tip. Even the mud in the roads is purple. And in the Emerald City, everything is green that is purple here. And in the country of the Munchkins, over the east, everything is blue. And in the south country of the Quadlings, everything is red. And in the west country of the Winkies, where the Tin Woodman rules, everything is yellow. Oh, said Jack. Then after a pause, he asked, Did you say a Tin Woodman rules the Winkies? Yes. He was one of those who helped Dorothy to destroy the Wicked Witch of the West. And the Winkies were so grateful that they invited him to become their ruler, just as the people of the Emerald City invited the Scarecrow to rule them. Dear me, said Jack, I'm getting confused with all this history. Who is the Scarecrow? Another friend of Dorothy's, replied Tip. And who is Dorothy? She was a girl that came here from Kansas, a place in the big, outside world. She got blown to the land of Oz by a cyclone, and while she was here, the Scarecrow and the Tin Woodman accompanied her on her travels. And where is she now? inquired the Pumpkinhead. Glinda the Good, who rules the Quadlings, sent her home again, said the boy. Oh. And what became of the Scarecrow? I told you, he rules the Emerald City, answered Tip. I thought you said it was ruled by a wonderful wizard, objected Jack, seeming more and more confused. Well, so I did. Now pay attention and I'll explain it, said Tip, speaking slowly and looking the smiling pumpkin head squarely in the eye. Dorothy went to the Emerald City to ask the wizard to send her back to Kansas, and the Scarecrow and the Tin Woodman went with her. But the wizard couldn't send her back because he wasn't so much of a wizard as he might have been. And then they got angry at the wizard and threatened to expose him. So the wizard made a big balloon and escaped in it, and no one has ever seen him since. Now that is a very interesting history, said Jack, well pleased. And I understand it perfectly all by the explanation. I'm glad you do, responded Tip. After the wizard was gone, the people of the Emerald City made His Majesty the Scarecrow their king. And I have heard that he became a very popular ruler. Are we going to see this strange king? asked Jack with interest. I think we may as well, replied the boy, unless you have something better to do. Oh no, dear father, said the pumpkin head. I'm quite willing to go wherever you please. Chapter 4 Tip Makes an Experiment in Magic The boy, small and rather delicate in appearance, seemed somewhat embarrassed at being called father by the tall, awkward, pumpkin-headed man but to deny the relationship would involve another long and tedious explanation. So he changed the subject by asking abruptly, Are you tired? Of course not, replied the other. But, he continued after a pause, it is quite certain I shall wear out my wooden joints if I keep on walking. Tip reflected, as they journeyed on, that this was true. He began to regret that he had not constructed the wooden limbs more carefully and substantially, Yet how could he have ever guessed that the man he had made merely to scare old Mombi with would be brought to life by means of a magical power contained in an old pepper box? So he ceased to reproach himself and began to think how he might yet remedy the deficiencies of Jack's weak joints. While thus engaged, they came to the edge of a wood and the boy sat down to rest upon an old sawhorse that some woodcutter had left there. Why don't you sit down? He asked the pumpkin head. Won't it strain my joints? inquired the other. 
Of course not. It'll rest them, declared the boy. So Jack tried to sit down. But as soon as he bent his joints further than usual, they gave away altogether, and he came clattering to the ground with such a crash that Tip feared he was entirely ruined. He rushed to the man, lifted him to his feet, straightened his arms and legs, and felt of his head to see if by any chance it had become cracked. But Jack seemed to be in pretty good shape after all, and Tip said to him, I guess you'd better remain standing hereafter. It seems the safest way. Very well, dear father, just as you say, replied the smiling Jack, who had been in no ways confused by his tumble. Tip sat down again. Presently, the pumpkin head asked, What is that thing you're sitting on? Oh, this is a horse, replied the boy carelessly. What is a horse? demanded Jack. A horse? Why, there are two kinds of horses, returned Tip, slightly puzzled how to explain. One kind of horse is alive and has four legs and a head and a tail, and people ride upon its back. I understand, said Jack cheerfully. That's the kind of horse you're now sitting on. No, it isn't, answered Tip promptly. Why not? That one has four legs and a head and a tail. Tip looked at the sawhorse more carefully and found that the pumpkin head was right. The body had been formed from a tree trunk and a branch had been left sticking up at one end that looked very much like a tail. In the other end were two big knots that resembled eyes and a place had been chopped away that might easily have been mistaken for a horse's mouth. As for the legs, they were four straight limbs cut from trees and stuck fast into the body, being spread wide apart so that the sawhorse would stand firmly when a log was laid across it to be sawed. This thing resembles a real horse more than I imagined, said Tip, trying to explain. But a real horse is alive, and trots and prances and eats oats, while this is nothing more than a dead horse, made of wood, and used to saw logs upon. If it were alive, wouldn't it trot and prance and eat oats? inquired the pumpkin head. It would trot and prance, perhaps, but it wouldn't eat oats, replied the boy laughing at the idea. And of course, it can't ever be alive because it is made of wood. So am I, answered the man. Tip looked at him in surprise. Why, so you are, he exclaimed, and the magic powder that brought you to life is here in my pocket. He brought out the pepper box and eyed it curiously. I wonder, said he musingly, if it would bring the sawhorse to life. If it would, returned Jack, calmly, for nothing seemed to surprise him. I could ride on its back, and that would save my joints from wearing out. I'll try it, cried the boy, jumping up. But I wonder if I can remember the words old Mombi said, and the way she held up her hands. He thought it over for a minute, and as he had watched carefully from the hedge every motion of the old witch and listened to her words, he believed he could repeat exactly what she had said and done. So he began by sprinkling some of the magic powder of life from the pepper box upon the body of the sawhorse. Then he lifted his left hand with a little finger pointing upward and said, We all. What does that mean, dear father? asked Jack, curiously. I don't know, answered Tip. Then he lifted his right hand with the thumb pointing upward and said, Tio. What's that, dear father? inquired Jack. It means you must keep quiet, replied the boy, provoked at being interrupted at so important a moment. How fast I am learning, remarked the pumpkin head with his eternal smile. Tip now lifted both hands above his head with all the fingers and thumbs spread out and cried in a loud voice, Pio. Immediately, the sawhorse moved 
stretched its legs, yawned with its chopped-out mouth, and shook a few grains of the powder off its back. The rest of the powder seemed to have vanished into the body of the horse. Good, called Jack. Father Boy looked on in astonishment. You're a very clever sorcerer, dear father. Chapter 5 The Awakening of the Sawhorse The sawhorse, finding himself alive, seemed even more astonished than Tip. He rolled his naughty eyes from side to side, taking a first wandering view of the world in which he had now so important an existence. Then he tried to look at himself, but he had indeed no neck to turn, so that in the endeavour to see his body he kept circling around and around without catching even a glimpse of it. His legs were stiff and awkward, for there were no knee joints in them, so that presently he bumped against Jack Pumpkinhead and sent that personage tumbling upon the moss that lined the roadside. Tip became alarmed at this accident, as well as at the persistence of the sawhorse in prancing around in a circle. So he called out, Whoa, whoa there. The sawhorse paid no attention whatever to this command, and the next instant brought one of his wooden legs down upon Tip's foot so forcibly that the boy danced away in pain to a safer distance from where he again yelled, Whoa, whoa, I say. Jack had now managed to raise himself to a sitting position, and he looked at the sawhorse with much interest. I don't believe the animal can hear you, he remarked. I shout loud enough, don't I? answered Tip, angrily. Yes, but the horse has no ears, said the smiling pumpkin head. Sure enough, exclaimed Tip, noting the fact for the first time. How then am I going to stop him? But at that instant, the sawhorse stopped himself, having concluded it was impossible to see his own body. He saw Tip, however, and came close to the boy to observe him more fully. It was really comical to see the creature walk, for it moved the legs on its right side together and those on its left side together as a pacing horse does, and that made its body rock sideways like a cradle. Tip patted it upon the head and said, Good boy, good boy, in a coaxing tone, and the sawhorse pranced away to examine with its bulging eyes the form of Jack Pumpkinhead. I must find a halter for him, said Tip, and having made a search in his pocket, he produced a roll of strong cord. Unwinding this, he approached the sawhorse and tied the cord around its neck, afterward fastening the other end to a large tree. The sawhorse, not understanding the action, stepped backward and snapped the string easily, but it made no attempt to run away. He's stronger than I thought, said the boy, and rather obstinate too. Why don't you make him some ears? asked Jack. Then you can tell him what to do. That's a splendid idea, said Tip. How did you happen to think of it? Why, I didn't think of it, answered the pumpkin head. I didn't need to, for it's the simplest and easiest thing to do. So Tip got out his knife and fashioned some ears out of the bark of a small tree. I mustn't make them too big, he said, as he whittled, or our horse could become a donkey. How is that? inquired Jack from the roadside. Why, a horse has bigger ears than a man, and a donkey has bigger ears than a horse, explained Tip. Then, if my ears were longer, would I be a horse? asked Jack. My friend, said Tip gravely, you'll never be anything but a pumpkin head, no matter how big your ears are. Oh, returned Jack, nodding. I think I understand. If you do, you're a wonder, remarked the boy. But there's no harm in thinking you understand. I guess these ears are ready now. 
Will you hold the horse while I stick them on? Certainly, if you'll help me up, said Jack. So Tip raised him to his feet, and the pumpkin head went to the horse and held its head while the boy bored two holes in it with his knife blade and inserted the ears. They make him look very handsome, said Jack, admiringly. But these words, spoken close to the horse, and being the first sounds he had ever heard, so startled the animal that he made a bound forward and tumbled Tip on one side and Jack on the other. Then he continued to rush forward as if frightened by the clatter of his own footsteps. Whoa, shouted Tip, picking himself up. Whoa, you idiot, whoa. The sawhorse would probably have paid no attention to this, but just then it stepped a leg into a gopher hole and stumbled head over heels into the ground, where it lay upon its back, frantically waving its four legs in the air. Tip ran up to it. You're a nice sort of horse, I must say, he exclaimed. Why didn't you stop when I yelled woe? Does woe mean to stop? asked the sawhorse in a surprised voice as it rolled its eyes upward to look at the boy. Of course it does, answered Tip. And a hole in the ground means to stop also, doesn't it? continued the horse. To be sure, unless you step over it, said Tip. What a strange place this is, the creature exclaimed, as if amazed. What am I doing here, anyway? Why, I've brought you to life, answered the boy. But it won't hurt you any if you mind me and do as I tell you. Then I will do as you tell me, replied the sawhorse, humbly. But what happened to me a moment ago? I don't seem to be just right some way. You're upside down, explained Tip. But just keep those legs still a minute, and I'll set you right side up again. How many sides have I? asked the creature, wonderingly. Several, said Tip briefly. But do keep those legs still. The sawhorse now became quiet and held its legs rigid, so that Tip, after several efforts, was able to roll him over and set him upright. Ah, I seem all right now, said the strange animal with a sigh. One of your ears is broken, Tip announced, after a careful examination. I'll have to make a new one. Then he led the sawhorse back to where Jack was vainly struggling to regain his feet, and after assisting the pumpkin head to stand upright, Tip whittled out a new ear and fastened it to the horse's head. Now, said he, addressing his steed, pay attention to what I'm going to tell you. Woe means to stop. Get up means to walk around. Trot means to go as fast as you can. Understand? I believe I do, returned the horse. Very good. We are all going on a journey to the Emerald City to see His Majesty the Scarecrow, and Jack Pumpkinhead is going to ride on your back so he won't wear out his joints. I don't mind, said the sawhorse. Anything that suits you suits me. Then Tip assisted Jack to get upon the horse. Hold on tight, he cautioned, or you may fall off and crack your pumpkin head. That would be horrible, said Jack with a shudder. What shall I hold on to? Why, hold on to his ears, replied Tip, after a moment's hesitation. Don't do that, remonstrated the sawhorse, but then I can't hear. That seemed reasonable, so Tip tried to think of something else. I'll fix it, said he, at length. He went into the wood and cut a short length of limb from a young stout tree. One end of this he sharpened to a point, and then he dug a hole in the back of the sawhorse just behind its head. Next, he brought a piece of rock from the road and hammered the post firmly into the animal's back. Stop, stop, shouted the horse. You're jarring me terribly. Does it hurt? asked the boy. Not exactly hurt, answered the animal, but it makes me quite nervous to be jarred.
Well, it's all over now, said Tip encouragingly. Now, Jack, be sure to hold on fast to this post, and then you can't fall off and get smashed. So Jack held on tight, and Tip said to the horse, Get up. The obedient creature at once walked forward, rocking from side to side as he raised his feet from the ground. Tip walked beside the sawhorse, quite content with this addition to their party. Presently, he began to whistle. What does that sound mean? asked the horse. Don't pay any attention to it, said Tip. I'm just whistling. That only means I'm pretty well satisfied. I'd whistle myself if I could push my lips together, remarked Jack. I fear, dear father, that in some respects I am sadly lacking. After journeying on for some distance, a narrow path they were following turned into a broad roadway paved with yellow brick. By the side of the road, Tip noticed a signpost that read, Nine Miles to the Emerald City. But it was now growing dark, so he decided to camp for the night by the roadside and to resume the journey next morning by daybreak. He led the sawhorse to a grassy mound upon which grew several bushy trees and carefully assisted the pumpkin head to alight. I think I'll lay you upon the ground overnight, said the boy. You'll be safer that way. How about me? asked the sawhorse. It won't hurt you to stand, replied Tip. And as you can't sleep, you may as well watch out and see that no one comes near to disturb us. Good night. <laughs>